Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, some of the Twinkle EYFS team, special guest speakers and other early years practitioners as we talk honestly about our experiences. Whether you're listening for CPD, on your commute or to help you relax, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello and welcome to another episode of Twinkle Talks EYFS. I'm Katie. And I'm Charlotte. I'm Fliss. And I'm Hannah. And it's time for our episode where we answer your practitioner problems. So the first one we've been asked today from our social media is, should I work as a supply nursery nurse? So do you guys have much experience of having supply nursery nurses in your settings? We had like agency and then I think with the nursery went through a phase like when we were like low on staff that they used agency quite a lot but then they kind of didn't want to use agency because it's known for being more expensive and you kind of don't know who you're getting. Mm -hmm. So like I think sometimes we ask for like the same practitioner back but then like that you're not guaranteed to get the same one back. But yeah I always found like with agency staff there was a very like varied type of practitioner you'll get. Agreed. Yeah. We didn't use agency very often in our nursery. Um it was kind of like a last resort because we had we were like a big chain nursery. So what they do instead was they would get staff from other settings to come to different to work in other settings that needed it. So we sometimes got sent to ones that were um in a different location to cover staff so that all the staff were in the same company, so they knew the like rules, they knew the policies and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just easier doing that than getting someone outside that didn't really know anything coming in from that perspective. But we did a few times, but only when we were like desperate. Yeah, I think from what we've all said so far, it's clear that there's a couple of different types of supply nursery staff. So when I think of supply, like you guys have said, I do think of someone that's coming from an outside agency and it is pretty much just being a body in the room because they don't know the children, they don't know the setting, they don't know the policies, the activities, the needs, anything like that. But then there's also the perspective of being a supply staff in the sense of being a bank worker. Yeah, so my nursery, they used to do agency and then um, then they started to hire a load of um, staffers, bank staffers, relief staff, which is when I went back and that's what I used to do. Um, and then they stopped using agency, and, but there was a group of us of like, I want to say about 10 practitioners and they, whatever shifts they needed, they put out and we could choose which ones we want to do. And I think that worked a lot better because like you say, they, you know, the children, you know how the nursery works. Like you could only be working one shift a week, but the children are still the same next week and the practice is still the same. So it works a lot better. So I think a lot of settings do now hire relief staff to like fall back on it rather than agency. From the question, which like, should this person be a supply staff? It completely depends, I think, because I think there's definitely advantages to being a supply staff with a particular like nursery, because like you said, you know the children, you're with like, even if you're not with the same children, everything else is the same. But the idea of being a supply staff is the idea of flexibility. I always think that working in an earlier setting, flexibility is a bit mythical because you can only work certain hours depending on ratios. Like you're never going to be able to go, I actually only want to do 10 till 3 and that is it. Like that's never going to happen. But there is more flexibility than say you've agreed to sign up. When you signed up for a job, you agreed that you would do 8 till 2 every week or 8 till 6. So from that perspective, flexibility is great. But 
it depends how you can cope with inconsistency because I have done nursery supply as an agency person and I hated being not knowing where I was going to be or just like waking up on the day and then being told oh you're here now and then all of a sudden you were working eight to six on a day that you didn't plan to be working if that makes sense I think it depends like why the person wants to be working as a supply like do they want more flexible hours to fit around like family life or studies and like sometimes that can work really well if you can pick and choose but like you just said if you're needing work and you're kind of getting a phone call at six in the morning that can be quite stressful like <laughs> working out where you've got to go where you're going to park and then mm-hmm. if you're completely new to that setting if you're not like a confident person it can be quite intimidating even finding out the basics of how how your day is going to go yeah that's a good point like it is it's a re- every setting is so different it can feel really alienating going into somewhere can't it so to answer your question dear listener it's completely up to you and your lifestyle and what you need from work <laughs> which is quite unhelpful from us <laughs> So we've also been asked how the induction process in an earlier setting can be improved. So did you guys have an induction process in your nursery? I don't think it matters wherever you work or whatever career path you take. The induction process, it is long, it is boring and I've never sat through one and gone, I actually feel like I really know this company. I always found they're really impersonal and it's just reading policies off a piece of paper, in my experience. Yeah, I think in our nursery it was a lot of like, here's this massive safeguarding policy that you need to read. Yeah. Tick it off the list when you've done and then you'd give them another one and another one and I used to feel really bad like, I'm sorry but you, you've got another one to read. Yeah. Here's your 15th of the day. Yeah, and then there's like a handbook that they needed to read, like the nursery pack that we put together and like that. So it's not a fun process. I think on my first day, I remember like it was mainly reading policies in the staff room. And it, like you say, it was literally like a folder so thick of like policies. And I was just sat there scrolling through. And by the time I'd read like two, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't sit and read all these. It's mind-numbing. Yeah, and then I remember my head of room had like a checklist in some ways where I think she had to like show us stuff around the room or like or like just introduce us to like ways of working and stuff like that that then she had to then tick off and when it was done, like we both had to like sign it and then like to the office to show that we've like been shown all these different things. I think it was simple things like nappy changing. She had to watch me change a nappy and yeah. stuff like that. But um, yeah, that was... All I can remember mine to be. What about you, Hannah? I think, um, like we were just saying, it's a really long, drawn-out process. When I was a manager, I tried to send, like, some of the policies through as part of, like, you know, when you're emailing saying start date. And if people wanted to read through some of them, they could, like, make a bit of a head start on it or at least have a bit of an idea. Because reading through for hours in the staff room is really dull. And you're not actually taking in the information because, like Fliss said, you just you feel you've got to get through this file and you're kind of a bit precious. You are sitting there thinking, am I taking too long to read this, aren't you? Like, are they sitting there being like, she's a really slow reader? I don't know if that's just me, <laughs> but I used to panic about everything. Yeah, you kind of think, oh, they probably want some help, but I'm sat here reading through. And I don't want to go too fast because it looks like I've not looked at them properly. Watching the children run wild and you're there like, "Um, I've actually got to read the missing child policy right now. Please, (laughs) leave. (laughs) And one of the other things I used to do was, um, I think when we were looking at induction, where I used to work was like, pull out the things that have to be done on like the first day, like safeguarding, but then like try and break it down over, I don't know, the first month so that over the month everything's covered so that it's not all in one day a bit like Fliss's checklist of things um in the room but with policies as well kind of try and stagger them a bit so that the information actually goes in 
that's what I was going to say too. It's just even, you don't really want to be sitting there reading more than one or two policies at a time because once you've been sitting there, it's like with children, you don't have them sit down for sort of longer than five to 10 minutes because they cannot concentrate for that long. And we don't really grow out of that. So I think when it comes to doing an introduction for adults, it is a case of doing one or two policies and then actually maybe you discuss it with them because they're more likely to take in things from what you've said together. And then you go off and you do something that gets you up and active so like Fliss said you do like a tour of the building or they don't show you a way of like how to change an appy or like like it's got to be done there's no way to avoid it but I think by breaking it up and slipping it in between these little things that are more active it makes it easier to do and then you spread it out over a couple of weeks we used to do it by setting so do you know what I mean it's like you would start with safeguarding and sort of like work your way ones down to like perhaps if you weren't a smoker you probably wouldn't start with the smoking policy if that makes sense and I think the other thing is to kind of although people don't like giving feedback about training and like induction but try and get feedback because people can say like it was really helpful doing that and you can get it going or it's actually really not good that like, I sat reading through the folder and policies and then you can kind of think well what can we do to, to change that or they might be able to say something that uh, another setting worked really well for their induction process so although it's another task it can be quite useful yeah that's a really good shout Hannah so another question we've had um is about how to balance um sleepers and non-sleepers in the toddler room um this is your area of expertise yeah well towards it really depended on the children because some of them would be very happy like because we split the room off so the messy play area that would just be two tables after lunch and then the other children would go into like the rest of the room where all the sleep mats would be out and it's connected it's not a separate room so when the lights are off there it's also dimmer in the place where the children uh, that are awake are and you can hear everything so it's if the children are going crazy and shouting in the non-sleepers area it'll wake the sleepers up so um, it really depended on the children. Like some of them, they got they got really used to it. A lot of our toddlers, like they knew that they were the ones not sleeping. So they would go and play over there. They could have whatever toys they wanted over there, but they just know to play kind of quietly. But sometimes that didn't work when it got to the stage where we had a lot of them due to be moving through. So a lot of them had like shorter sleep limits. So when people, when toddlers were waking up, there was like only like three asleep, but we had like 10 awake that's when it started to get a bit hard to like juggle but I guess it, it just really depends on the children like a lot of the toddlers that we had were like really like deep sleepers so even if there was quite a bit of noise like they didn't wake from it like we always had like the Alexa on like playing either like lullabies or like just music in the background in the first place so that it kind of like hushed out the noise of the children because the music was on at the same time. I don't think in my experience I've ever found like a perfect way to manage it because what works for a couple of weeks then very quickly just all of a sudden stops working when you mm. think you found like the golden thing to do. Ideally when we could we wanted to get the awake children as far away as possible <laughs> from the asleep children so there is no disruption which would usually mean that they would be outside but obviously that's not always possible and then on those days like you this we'd just try and take them off to sort of like the furthest point of the room and then they would still have free range to the variety of resources that we would have but just trying to put a bit of distance in between would it ever have been an option in any of your nurseries that the sleepers could have gone into a sleep room like did you ever have completely separate sleep spaces no no I used to get sent all the awake toddlers into preschool as I was next door so like three or four toddler children would just come into preschool so that would put my numbers up higher which meant and it was a mixture of two-year-olds now and three and four so the ratio would change so then I was like I need an extra member of staff 
if you're going to do that. So then they try and get me one, but I didn't always get one. So sometimes there'd only be two of us in the room with like 24 children. And just a couple of extra children, it can be an absolute recipe for disaster. <laughs> Especially younger ones who aren't used yeah. to the room. Yeah. They'd trash it because they'd see all these new toys they'd never seen before. I'm like, oh my God, look at this. And then they'd just start, you know, running around. Because of the containment schema. Is that the right one? Yeah, I said it so confidently. Yeah, and then transforming where they're throwing stuff. Out, right? So close. <laughs> so yeah, it was. Oh, it, it, I used to find it very hard as well because our room was like joined to the toddlers, and the wall was really thin. So no matter what I did, I couldn't keep the noise down. Mm-hmm. And like some of the staff would come to the window and be like, "It's too noisy in there," and I'd be like, "What do you want me to do?" I can't quiet 24 children, they're playing, um, it's what it is. But if the children stayed in toddlers, the ones that were awake, the manager said the light had to be on, so they couldn't turn the light off in the room. So the other children, because the light was on, couldn't fall asleep, because there were children playing, making noise, and then the light was on, so it was really bright. So they did used to struggle getting a lot of the toddlers to sleep at one point. We had two like separate bits, so we could have like the light off in the main room area and then the other bit we could have a light on and one thing I always remember is like even though you've got all these toddlers to put to sleep it's really important to have one practitioner even if it's only one child or like two children Mm. like you're technically not on like the best ratio but it's always like important like to have that practitioner with the awake ones because if you're there putting the ones that are going to sleep down and you're leaving the ones that are awake on their own I think that's when it can get a bit more chaotic whereas if you're there with them and playing with them and they're more engaged in something, then it's a lot easier to manage. We did at one point in one of the nurseries I worked at sort of try and encourage like a quiet time around the rest of the nursery. And honestly, for a couple of weeks, it was golden. It took a little while for the older children to get used to, but they all then knew that after lunchtime, they would, everyone would still come and get, because we had loads of sleeping mats, they would all come and get a sleeping mat and everyone would lie down or pick a cushion, but they would listen to a story and then we'd like go and do a quiet activity. But then, like I said, it worked for a little bit and then it stopped working and then we had to think of something else. But I think that's just it, isn't it? You've just got to have a rotation of activities that you can dip in and out of because if the children get bored, they're going to get rowdy and then everyone's awake again. Whoever would tidy up after like dinner would then set them tables up with like colouring and then some jigsaws and books. But then like it'd be the same thing every day. So then children that were uh, awake every day, like they just were not interested in jigsaws or books or colouring anymore. So, yeah. And I think even if you have got a sleep room, it's not necessarily the answer because you've still got children who don't want to go to sleep, even if they're in the sleep room, like disturbing the other children. I think white noise is really useful. Yeah. If you can use that, that can help. But yeah, it's a really tricky one. But as a practitioner, you've got to be careful that you don't fall asleep when yeah. you do white noise stuff. Because oh I always gosh. think <laughs> when I met the hairdressers and she's got the blow dryer on for like somebody else, I'm sitting there sometimes like dropping off like, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Right. It used to be the worst for me like on a Monday, especially if I was on last lunch. So I'd spend from the children finishing their lunch until the last child asleep, just literally they're like rocking the children, patting them. But I, I was like so tired from the weekend if I'd like been out. So I was like trying to like keep my eyes like pinned open, like not to fall asleep with the children. Thank you for listening to another episode of Twinkle Talk, CYFS. As always, you can send us your problems on social media. We have Facebook, Facebook groups, Pinterest, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. If it exists, we're probably on it. But in the meantime, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.
So that's it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to join in or would like to know more, then come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook page, Facebook groups, an Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. All the links of where to find us will be in our podcast description. Come and join the conversation. And whatever you're doing today, I hope you have a great day.